Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, my co-host, Stephen Gillespie. And joining us on this episode of the Draft Deeper Podcast, celebrity over here. He's making appearances on the No Ceilings pod. He was just a guest on the Box and One podcast with Coach Adam Spinella, who's always a good time when he comes on Draft Deeper. Maxwell, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. I am a professional podcast guest now. This is my full-time gig <laughs> going forward. It's great. Just raking in the dough on per appearance contracts. It's great. Uh, but yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be back. Who do you have representing you right now? What agency are you? Oh, I'm a CAA guy. So oh, okay. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, buddied up with all the Knicks guys, all those people. We're all we're all tight. So but Makes yeah, sense. seriously, like, it is leave the Lakers alone, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What nothing to do oh, with that boy. mess. But glad to be back on the show. If we steer this conversation towards the Lakers, we may never stop recording. So we, that, yeah. yeah, that that's we wouldn't own. be a basketball podcast if we didn't mention the Lakers at least once. So, you know what, Steve, we've done <laughs> such a good job of not doing that though. Over at, at Draft, <laughs> we Eagle. have we have not talked about the Lakers, and we will not be talking about the Lakers again because they do not appear in the exercise that we're going to be doing because they don't have any assets until what, like twenty twenty seven. So mm-hmm. there we go. But we're going to, because we're going to be doing a mock draft exercise tonight. This is mock draft 2.0 on the Draft Deeper podcast. I can't believe I've only done one other mock draft on this podcast feed. I've done all these big board podcasts, but I've, I've neglected the mock draft faithful out there. The people who are constantly scouring podcast platforms, written platforms for mock draft content, because they want to know who's being taken by their favorite team. And so we're going to try to do that. We're going to mock this out. So similar to how we did the mock draft 1.0, where I had Tyler Rucker and Simon Rath on, we have a draft order made up in terms of who's going to be picking where. So Maxwell's going to be picking first, since he's the honored guest tonight. Steven's going to be picking second, and I will pick third, and we will just keep rotating through picks all the way through the first round. And this is going to get a little crazy. We're going to see where these players fall. I know, depending on who goes where, and then we, we might have some some hot takes that we need to, to get out. Mm-hmm. We might have some strong opinions we need to give. We're open to doing that. We are here to make sure that we do this exercise correctly. So without further ado, Maxwell, the Orlando Magic are on the board. Very, very tough decision. Very tough yeah. decision to make. So the Orlando Magic are very bad right now, and they need – one guy to be the guy they need that star centerpiece going forward and i think my most piping hot take is that i have chet holmgren number three on my board i don't i don't think he is that offensive engine that a team Mm. like the magic need i think he'd be spectacular there like if they took him at this pick i wouldn't begrudge them for it um the the top two on my board are jabari smith and paulo bancaro Um, I know you don't necessarily want to draft for fit when you're at this stage with the magic. If you're looking for that offensive engine, Paulo kind of profiles more out of the gate to be that guy. That said, I have Jabari Smith higher on my board. I understand that he is not a creator yet. Um, that his creation that he does have is, is pretty limited that he might not be the best distributor. Um, and again, I know you don't necessarily want to draft for fit, but I just think about that team 
And I think about if you're going to have a Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony backcourt going forward, if you feel good about that, and I'm iffy on it, and of course, Mark Fultz is there, but he's been injured a lot. Um, you're going to need a lot of size around those guys. That was the thing that betrayed Portland when they built around two smaller guards was not having that size and not having that defense from those positions. And that to me is where Jabari just gets that little edge on Paulo. I'm willing to bet on Jabari Smith. Everything I read about his work ethic, the athletic did a big piece on him. Alan Flanagan was hyping up how hard he practices. I really think he's going to put it together. I think he's the highest upside player in this draft. And I think coming out of the gates, just the amount of length that you'll have between him, Franz, Bamba, Carter, just a lot of good length that can shore up any issues that might arise from that smaller backcourt. I'm taking Jabari Smith with this pick here. So two thoughts before I kick it over, Steven. I know Steven's going to praise the pick because he also has had Jabari oh, Smith number one on his board. But so two thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, first one being... This is actually a pretty good fit for him. And I've kind of mm-hmm. wanted Jabari to end up with the Pistons because I think him and Cade would just be such a dynamic combo. But when you think about Jabari Smith's biggest concerns on offense being that he just he's just not a good dribbler of the basketball, mm-hmm. you, want, you want a team to be able to get him the ball in the spots where he's most comfortable. And that means you need guards who are willing to get him the ball in those spots. And Orlando has a ton of guards to work with. They have... Markel Fultz has looked really good since he's been coming back. We obviously know Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony's still there. They have guys who can move the ball. And oh, by the way, Franz Wagner is also pretty good at finding open teammates as well. So talking about team fit, there's actually more there than I would have initially thought of. And then the other thing that I've kind of brought up in earlier mock drafts slash big board discussions is just given Orlando's proximity to the University of Auburn as compared to Gonzaga um, or even Duke, you have to figure that a lot of their scouts have been to enough Auburn games to the point where they've seen some of the ridiculous stuff Jabari's done all year. They got to be coming back to that front office being like, Oh my God, like Jabari, is he not the guy? So I also kind of think that like their front office, if I had to like guess who they might have number one on their board, or at least the majority of people, majority of scouts within their front office might have number one. I would think it would be Jabari because of that reason. I don't know, but that would be another kind of thing that would point me towards Jabari maybe being picked by the Orlando Magic. What do you think about the pick, Steven? I love it. You don't got to sell me on Jabari Smith Jr. being the best. You know, when it's all said and done, when all these guys are hanging up their sneakers, you don't have to sell me that Jabari Smith Jr. has a high probability of being the best player. I was also recently on the No Ceilings podcast. Not as big of a deal as Maxwell, but I'm a little (laughs) well-traveled. And uh, we we did a mock draft on that show. And uh, I actually mocked Paolo to this team. And I also acknowledge that he might not be the best player when it's all said and done, but even still taking like a top three best out of this class with having an immediate offensive punch, having a guy that you can trust in the immediate to contribute on the offensive end, um, not having to worry about him developing as a ball handler or a playmaker or anything like that. I think that that kind of helps Orlando along. And then if you're given like that, you know, a hundred yard view or whatever the phrase is there, uh, probably puts them in contention to get another top end pick next season. So you're looking at potentially having like Apollo Boncaro on this team and then a Scoot Henderson, Victor Wambanyama. You might still get the same thing with the Jabari Smith Jr., but I don't know. I like the offensive addition immediately of Apollo Boncaro, but ultimately I think Jabari Smith is going to be the best player out of this class. So I don't hate that at all. 
when I, th- I think both Paulo and Jabari offer something different for the development of Jalen Suggs too. And mm-hmm. I'm still like all the way in on Jalen Suggs. Oh, I am not too. selling a preacher to the choir, but Jalen Suggs stop. Yep. Um, with Paulo, he's going to allow Suggs to kind of continue to operate off the ball a little bit more, lessen that playmaking responsibility, have somebody else that can make those passing decisions. And with Jabari, it's sort of the opposite, right? Like he's going to allow Suggs yeah. to have the ball more, but he's going to provide that spacing, open up those lanes and allow, uh, Suggs to get to the basket a little bit easier. So I think both guys kind of offer something that's going to be beneficial to his development. And then the sneaky one with Chet is like their high school history. And that's something I wonder with the magic is like, is that going to be something if they love Jalen Suggs, if they're still bought in on him and see him as a guy, are they going to use him as sort of an Intel source and say, Hey, do you want to hook up with Chet again? And, and basically relive the glory days here in Orlando, man, that, you know what? that's a wrinkle I didn't even necessarily think about, mm-hmm. but that that's, that's a great point, Maxwell. Speaking of Palo, Steven has the second pick mm-hmm. in the Houston Rockets. Now, Palo has actually risen on the no ceilings composite big board. If you're listening to this podcast, that means you have definitely read, or at least had the ability to read our latest big board that has gone up on no ceilings, NBA.com. You've probably also seen our latest mock draft our group mock draft that has gone up on no ceilings, NBA.com. If you want to subscribe, please go ahead and do so. It's free 99 baby. As Corey Tullivo always likes to say he's risen. And I feel like he's definitely done some favors for himself in the NCAA tournament. But does that mean that the Houston Rockets should take him number two? If Chet is the one still on the board, not Jabari, Steven, who are you taking at number two? Yeah. So this is going to be kind of where, the mock draft and the big board aren't necessarily in lockstep agreement, but they don't deviate from each other significantly. As much as I think Paolo Boncaro is ready offensively in the immediate, I think what would help the Houston Rockets out a lot is adding a defensive piece. And especially if, you know, if everyone's as high on Shangun as I think a lot of us at no ceilings are green has really turned it on after the all-star break. He's really looked every bit of that number two prospect that I thought that he was going to be in this class. I really, really, really like the Chet Holmgren fit here. Uh, You know, the flytrap is what I refer to him as. I think that he can give them a lot of defensive stability. I think that even though he's not as fleet of foot as some of the other bigs in this class, being a trailing three-point shooter with a dynamic creator like a a green or uh, playing off of another playmaking big like a Shangun, we've seen what he can do in a system like Gonzaga where he's playing off of another post player who has good feel and good uh, touch around the basket. So you kind of already imagine that he'll be able to play alongside Shangun very well. And then again, the defense is a lot of people are phrasing it as generational. I don't know if I'm all the way there yet, but he's definitely one of the the most unique defensive talents that I've seen in quite some time. So that's why I'm going to go with uh, Chet Holmgren here for the Houston Rockets to give them immediate defensive impact and still has enough in his offensive game to contribute. Maxwell, everybody talks about the defensive chat, right? I, mm. I, I don't think we need to go too in-depth yeah. with that here. I think the offensive fit is what intrigues me more with this because he's – it's funny. Drew Timmy is, is actually in play style very similar to how you would expect Shengun to play on the court. Mm-hmm. But I think at the same time, Shengun is a much more creative, high-low type of player to pair with Chet. And I think either way you want to go, because Chet's also a very underrated passer. And I think either way you want to go, you could could run some very intriguing high-low stuff with them, not to mention both of them can step out and space the floor. And 
in time, we I, I would assume that Shen Goon's going to continue developing the jump shot. I, I I always thought he would from evaluating him last year. And when he takes them, they 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 look pretty good. It's just more of a repetition thing. He's gonna have to build that over the next few years. But in time, if you have two guys with that much passing creativity who can also step out so you can play more five out with Jalen Green man in the ball, now we're talking about one hell of a dangerous offensive core to possibly build around what do you think about the offensive fit i love it i i I just think he's the reason i have chat number three and like i when i'm saying like i don't think he's going to be the engine of an offense i think he's going to be the greatest complimentary player in the nba like i i like i'm i'm dead serious when i say that like i think he is the perfect number two option he's going to space the floor he's an outstanding passer he's going to open up so much like we talk about defensive versatility with guys all the time the offensive versatility that you're going to get from having a Chet Holmgren on the floor is unbelievable. The angles he's able to deliver passes from with his size, him on the court with, with guys like Jalen green and what he's going to do by bringing defenders out of the paint, opening up those driving lanes for him, um, pick and pop game, the high lows of Shingun handoff sets. Like it's all just going to be gorgeous. I, I love Chet in Houston. And that is a place where I said, you know, I've got, Paula one, Jabari two, or Jabari one, Paula two. And, and it's based on that offensive engine thing. I honestly think no matter where Houston's picking, they should take chat. I, I just think, and again, I know you don't typically want to draft for fit. It's too perfect in this situation. I just don't think you can pass up what he's going to do. And I firmly believe in Jalen green is a number one scoring option in the NBA. I, I think he just makes everything hum for a Rockets team like this. I agree 100%. Um, in our, in our composite mock draft, the Rockets did not get Chet Holmgren. They got Paolo Vincaro, who is actually, that, that's who I'm going to take with number three at Detroit Pistons. There's, there's been this thing in the air. Jay Nivey's been a very popular player in terms of breaking up the quote unquote consensus top three. I'm not going to do that. I, I, I can't let Paolo not be a top three guy. Maxwell, you feel, I feel like you want to jump in. Well, yeah, I was before. I mean, you just jumped right on the pick. You didn't even elicit trade offers from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh my God! Who, yeah, who were, got a lot of assets. Who, yeah, who were who were possibly wondering if you would be interested in uh, Lou Dort and like a uh, smorgasbord of four future picks, and we swap three and four. No, that's okay. Because you've I'm got good. an athletic deficiency on that Detroit Pistons team. You've got you really lack room protection. Maybe you just get Jaden Ivy in there. Get somebody to. Uh, put some pressure on the rim, get some athleticism in there, add Lou Dort, take some defensive pressure off Cade. Not feeling it? If I'm going to make a trade, if mm-hmm. I would have made a trade, I would have been calling Houston. Been like, what do you okay. want for yeah. me to go up to number two at that point to go get Fair Chet? Enough. Because Chet, mm-hmm. everything we want to say about his physicality or quote-unquote lack thereof, and you probably want to play him more as a four as opposed to a five early on in his career, you'd have good old beef stew, Isaiah Stewart, <laughs> down low for the Detroit Pistons being able to take whatever physical assignment that would have to be taken at the center spot, then he can continue to space the floor for Kane and everybody else. I think that would be such a clean fit. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think all the Pistons would really need one. You have to go find another ball handler to be able to pair with Kane to take some pressure off him in the backcourt. And then you get that piece. Now we're really building something special in Detroit, but Funny enough, Paolo can be that offensive engine type of player, that secondary creator that can mesh well with Kane. They can play some pick and roll. They can play some inverted pick and roll. Um, Paolo can obviously work out of the elbows with Kane spotting up off the ball. 
He can find guys like Sadiq Bay open in the corner, just like Cade can. And then just from a physicality standpoint, when, when Paolo ends up playing the small ball five at some point in the NBA, which we know that it, it's probably coming. We wouldn't want to project that right now because we have defensive questions. You know, they're, they, whatever team drafts is going to do that at some point, he's going to be so dangerous offensively in that very similar five out system or running inverted picket rolls. He's only, only going to get better in that aspect. I know some of the defensive concerns will still be there in Detroit, but I think if Detroit has the ability to draft who could be a second offensive cornerstone, you do that. And you do that with size and skill, which is where the NBA has been trending for years now. Basically, I, I, trending for years. Well, who am I kidding? They, they, the NBA is all about size and skill since its inception. Um, but that that's where I think the Detroit Pistons will ultimately want to go. Uh, what do you think about the pick, Steven? I like it. I mean, there's there is a contingent of people who would say, what about Jaden Ivey? I think that you want to add someone who you can trust to play alongside Cade Cunningham. You know, again, I talked about this with Rucker on the show that I did for the No Ceilings pod is that anyone who takes Jaden Ivey, I think you're investing in him and being a point guard long term. And I don't know if I want to take on that project, uh, which might turn out to be very fruitful. I don't know if I want to take on that project while I'm still also trying to develop Cade Cunningham as being like the star on Detroit, right? So uh, that's a lot of investment, a lot of time, a lot of repetition and, and, and possessions that I'd have to do that with. Whereas Paulo Boncaro, you have a partner now. You have someone who you can play off of in a whole bunch of different sets and who can play off of each other. Uh, it's going to be a matchup nightmare um, if both of these guys hit, hit their ultimate high-end outcome. So I, don't, I love the Paul Bogero pick here in Detroit. And by the way, the Pistons still have Killian Hayes, who you would have to figure, like, if they draft Jaden Ivey, isn't that kind of like this, this, this more of the same thing, right? Like this guy yeah. who is next to Cade who probably needs the ball in his hands, but you don't want to take the ball out of Cade's hands. Except so Ivey it, is like a 40% three-point shooter. <laughs> well, it's like the athleticism difference, too, where it's like Hayes is more Correct. like, I like the defense better with Hayes and whatever, but yeah, he's not, he's, he's a little slow. Exactly. It's not, it's not like the most clean cut fit next to Kate is not, not as much as I think some people would like to think that it is. I still have my questions. Um, Maxwell, you're on the board. Oklahoma city thunder. Now it's so gross. I I know why you say it's nasty. Yeah. Because, because Steven has had thoughts about what the thunder should do with this pick. We've aired out all of those thoughts when we actually sat down and did our composite mock draft. I'm curious where you're going to go. Yeah, I I think Jaden Ivey is the best guy on the board, but I I can't do it. Like I can't uh, do it to Shay. Uh, I can't do it to Giddy. I just I have a really hard time. That's just so many guys that I want to have the ball and man, Dort, for, like all these guys are backcourt players. Yeah. And like I, I don't think like you care about drafting over Dort or man. I just don't know that I like Jaden Ivey enough to do it when I consider what I can get from this other guy. Um, so the problem is it is a lot of like guards and wings that I have in this tier. Um, the only kind of like forward size guys that I have here are Keegan Murray, who I, I really like Keegan Murray. And I, I thought about him a little bit. Um, he's probably the most pro ready out of anybody. The other one is AJ Griffin, who I am. I don't want to say like I'm not a fan of AJ Griffin. I'm not a fan of his defense. Um, and this team is like Shea doesn't guard giddy struggles there. I think he'll get there, but like 
those guys don't play a lot of defense other than Dort. Like there's just not a lot of defense. I don't feel great about AJ Griffin here. Oh God. Don't tell me you're going where Steven wanted to go. I hope he does. I'm reaching. I'm reaching. And I'm taking Jalen Duran. Okay. Okay. Pick. Uh, so it's also a reach. Love this. It's a reach. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I've been watching a lot of Memphis lately because I'm working on a Josh Minot piece. I, ju- I just think he's going to look really good when he has guards next to him. And I like his passing a lot. And, and I'd kind of argued against this to a point on the Sunday call because we're seeing so many just multifaceted, multi-skilled bigs that it's like, how valuable is a big that doesn't shoot anymore when you've got like Chet, you've got Victor coming down the pipeline. Like you have all these guys, but I just think what this team needs is vertical spacing. They need defense. And he's also just such a great passer that I think he's mm-hmm. going to gel with everybody else that's around him. He's, um, he's, he's getting there as a passer. I don't know if I'd use Well, he's like, crazy, he's a but I, I know what you're he's, trying to say. Yeah. He's, he's a child. <laughs> Uh, he's like 17 years. Old. I think he's 18 now, but um, he's I think probably he, the best. The short, the short on, passing on a, has. He's probably the best passer ahead, on his team. Like <laughs> pass, pass for pass. He's probably the best passer on his team. As, like, I like DeAndre Williams, team. but yeah. But yeah. when you're talking about other like six, nine guys is the best passer on your team. It's, yeah. It's troublesome. Um, but I, Man, my I, boy Lester Keneone is just getting the shaft from Steven over there. But, I like um, Lester. He's a great shooter. I love <laughs> the, the short shorts, man. He's, yeah. he's good. Um, but yeah, I'm going to reach for Duran. I, I think, and plus Oklahoma city loves to bet on these kind of like just long rangey athletic dudes. And that that's Jalen Duran also. So he kind of fits their physical profile. Uh, they don't seem like they're in any rush. I think if he has some growing pains out of the gate, you can live with it. Even if Shea gets like upset and ass out, um, I think what you have with like the rest of your backcourt is fine. And you can try and get a wing piece or something like that and go from there. I, I just really like Duran here. I think the argument a lot of us wanted to make during that meeting when we brought up Duran's name here is that with all the passing that they have in Oklahoma city, you want an elite above the rim finisher to take advantage of those lob opportunities. And that's exactly what Duran provides. This would be, Really rich, in my opinion, to take somebody like Mark Williams with, with, with the fourth overall pick. But Duran, because of what you mentioned, Maxwell, some of the short roll passing that he's flashed, his, his, it's not just his mechanics, but his willingness to take those jumpers, the, those mid-range jumpers, mm-hmm. I think really also points to more of that potential. And then you factor in what we know that he can do on the court or at least get better at doing within his rookie season, which is protecting the rim, crashing the boards on both ends of the floor, running at the rim, being lob threat. There's there's a path for him to get minutes right away in Oklahoma City, which is very key to somebody's development. You got to get the minutes, and then from there you can start building out some of your other skills. So I I I don't I don't hate the pick, um, and and I've actually seen. Well, I made it, and I'm Raphael not sure that I even somebody who mocked and. <laughs> I've seen multiple. Like I've seen like Raphael mock like Duran as high as like four. So like I I mm. I, I, I don't hate it. Um, it goes against my personal philosophy to like, if I, if I have somebody this high on my board with this high of a pick, pick and I'm dubbing them the best player available, especially with a team like the Oklahoma city thunder, where I don't know who's going to be on the team two years from now. I think it would be me who would take Jay Ivy and just make the pick. But as I told Steven, when him and I were talking offline, like I, I understand the argument for taking somebody other than Jay Ivy. I 100% mm-hmm. understand it. If if Shea and Giddy and Man are all going to be there long-term and we know that that's the outcome, 
yeah, I, I don't think we could put Jay and Ivy ultimately in that situation. I just, I just don't know where some of these other pieces are going to go to make trades because we know that at some point within the next two years, press is going to start dealing. He has too many picks and players to the point where like so, something's got to get over the yeah. next few years. Right. So we just, we just don't know. We don't know who's going to be in those deals. Well, but I'll, that, I'll say this, Nathan. That, I think if you draft Jaden Ivy, you're telling your team where who's yeah. not going to be there. Like, I think you're, you're kind of answering that question if you, because look at what happened last season, right? Like SGA with all the additions that they made in the draft, like, there was rumors that they were even shopping him, right? So, like, if you're playing off of that this season and then you're coming in saying, well, I'm going to draft best player available who also happens to be a guard because I don't know who's going to be on the team, it feels like you're already telling yourself that you don't expect SGA to be on that team. Like, that that's my philosophy with this. That's the job, Steven. That's the job. Yeah. You got to be a professional. Sometimes you yep. got you to do the right thing, even though it's the hard thing. But that's <laughs> it, it's, it's two different philosophies. But yeah, I, 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 I understand what you guys do 100%. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a great, it's a great argument. It's a great debate to have on shows like this, as well as um, in front offices. That's what draft deep is supposed to be, right? We're supposed to yep. give some of the conversations that are being had behind the scenes to, to the public and, and, and let people form their own opinions. Number five, the Indiana Pacers. Yes, Does the Jaden Ivy slide stop? It's over. And I'll be completely honest. I am considering Keegan Murray at this position as well. But I think with the Malcolm Brogdon, like constantly being in trade rumors, you can only be in trade rumors for so long before you're actually traded. And I think uh, with what we're seeing with the Pacers is that they're wanting to go young. They're investing in in the youth, right? They got Tyrese Halliburton. Isaiah uh, Jackson is getting a lot of burn on this team. They traded for Jalen Smith. Uh, Miles Turner has also been in trade rumors a lot. I don't know if they're going to try to give him more burn now that Sabonis is gone or if they're just going to be committed into a full-blown youth movement. So uh, all things being considered, I don't think that anybody on this team is safe from being traded. I want to go best player available. I want to get a guy who gives me a little bit of yin to the yang that we get with Tyrese Halliburton, uh, a guy who can play with the ball in his hands. We also see what he looks like with the ball out of his hands. He's a very good cutter. He's a good spot-up shooter. Uh, defense needs a little bit of work, but I'm not necessarily concerned about that because the guard position in the NBA, it's not necessarily asked of you to be like a uh, dynamo on the defensive end. So all things being considered, uh, high-end outcome, best player available, uh, all those boxes are checked here with uh, Jay and Ivy going to the Pacers. Maxwell, what do you think of the pick? I'm a big fan of it. I think it's a great fit. Um, as like a Sixers guy, since the trade deadline, the, the games where Harden is on and everything is clicking, having that nice change of pace between like the fast bursty guard and the guard that plays with pace really just screws with opposing defenses. And it's, it's such a joy to watch. And I think you're kind of replicating that in a way here with uh with Ivy and um, and with Halliburton. And it's funny because like the Ivy always gets the John Morant comparison. And like in my like preseason returners column, I compared him to Tyrese Maxey. Like that's the guy that he reminds me the most of in a lot of senses. Um, so yeah, I, I'm fully on board. I, I mean, like you look at their guard minutes right now and like Dwayne Washington, Terry Taylor, like these guys are, I think going to be around for a couple of years, but they're not like true starting caliber NBA players. So I, I think it really just bolsters your lineup. I think it helps you be where the Pacers want to be, which is building, but like semi-competitive. You're not just rolling over and, and playing dead on a night by night basis. So I'm at number six. I have the Portland Trailblazers 
mm-hmm. making one of two lottery picks. Steve will be making the other a little bit later on at pick number 11 here. So we're working together is what you're saying. Like we need to come to some sort of agreement for this pick so we can come to agreement later. I mean, as teammates <laughs> on the Draft Deeper podcast, yes. it's what you would want. However, correct. as as we figured out, Stephen, you and I have different opinions and that's that's actually a really good thing that allows us to Absolutely. make excellent podcasts like this together. I think a lot of people at No Ceilings would want me to go one of two players, either Keegan Murray or Benedict Matherin. And I'm going to take neither. I'm going to take Whoa. I know where he's going. I already got a feeling. Do you know where I'm going? Pull the trigger. Let's go. I'm going Shane Sharp right here. I knew it. Whoa. I I love it. I love it. I'm going Shane Sharp. And I have, for everybody out there listening, I am going to be working on a Shane Sharp piece this weekend, which will hopefully come out on Monday for the No Ceiling Substack. The more I watch of this kid, by the way, I know, I know we were talking in, in the DMs um, earlier today in the No Ceilings group chat, and then Tyler Metcalf was doing a little bit of a deep dive on Sharp as well, and he was pointing out some of the defensive things. It, he's a young guard. Like, I, I don't expect the defense to be good. That's, that's just, that's just part, of, part of the nature of the beast. But Not a minute and, of college basketball either, like to even learn defense at a higher level. And on that same notion, I don't expect Sharp to be a good NBA player in his rookie year either. He might not yeah. even be the best NBA player in his second year. This, this, this is something that might take time just because of the fact that he doesn't have those college reps under mm-hmm. his belt. And, but you see with a player that Portland made a gamble on, Anthony Simons, for example, yep. that's working out really well for them, regardless of what happens with Damian, with Damian Lillard. And I think it's on that same notion – you can't necessarily be thinking about Dame with this pick. Dame could want to be there and remain in Portland for his entire career. He could also technically ask for out at any second, and we might not necessarily see it coming, and they might not necessarily see it coming. Um, so you can't fully put him into this equation. You have to take the player who, in my opinion, would have the highest upside of anybody left on the board, and that would be the six-five shot-creating guard with enough bounce and juice to be one of those legitimate star potential difference makers in the backcourt. Um, and I think he would be just another one of those creator type guards next to Dame or Anthony Simons, whichever one that would just give Portland another awesome foundation type of building block to keep moving forward with regardless of what continues to happen. And I just think you can try and take Keegan Murray here, which Keegan Murray would be a good fit in Portland. That team yep. does not defend anybody. They need defense. Keegan's one of the smartest defensive forwards I think I've evaluated in quite some time on top of what you get with him from, from steady offense. You could take Benedict Matherin here, who is projected to be a surefire three and D guy who also offers some shot creation off the bounce in the mid range when he's at his best. You can even take AJ Griffin here. Talk me into AJ Griffin because he's one of the best shooting freshmen I think we've seen in, in quite some time as well, but I'm, I'm going to take the chance on 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 Shaden Sharp. What do you think, Stephen? So I think this is a really good uh, place to mention that this is where draft philosophy comes into play, right? Because if you're going to go for a guy who has the ultimate ultimate high end outcome, I think we did a great job with this piece. If we're looking to keep Damian Lillard happy with being a competitive roster in the short term, that's where it can get a little bit murky, 
right? Like there's reports that he has an established relationship with Oshai Baji. I'm not saying we draft him here at six, but that's just another player that we can consider and, and still might ultimately end up getting here. But uh, I think that you could argue that a Keegan Murray or like a Jonathan Davis, like players who, you know, leave it out on the court all game long uh, could earn the respect immediately of a Damian Lillard might be a route that you could go. But if you're wanting to say, you know, all of that be damn, we're going to get for the guy who we think could end up being like a top five prospect in this entire class. You did your job here by taking shade and sharp and you should be like, you could walk away happy knowing that you took a potential top five talent here at a number seven or number six here for Portland. Maxwell, any, any thoughts on, on Mr. Shane Sharp before we move on? Any takes you want to get off your chest? Yeah, so I need to dive back into him because, like, when his name first came to the mix, I watched, like, a handful of his games, and I have not gone back since then. Um, so he's somebody I really need to do my homework on. Uh, I know that the last time we did a mock draft at No Ceilings, I wrote the Trailblazers section. I mentioned that Damian Lillard might ask for a trade, and a lot of Trailblazers fans got extremely <laughs> upset at me for questioning the character of Damian Lillard, for insisting he may not want to play for their crappy basketball team any longer. Whoa! Uh, but no, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but but yeah, I, I think it's interesting, because apparently Damian has like signed off on all these moves, so it sounds like he might be okay just like being the vet and waiting for these other dudes to come up and if that's the case absolutely take a swing on a guy like Shaden Sharp because if what looks good on tape hits if he is this guy who is not only a great athlete but has just like nascent offensive footwork that he's putting together yeah can fly above the rim can shoot like if that clicks that is franchise changing so if Dame is okay with some of these moves that look like a step back in a youth movement then then I'm totally fine with it um, but I think you kind of want to find out where he's at um, with it but if he's on board I, I yeah i say go for it and, and based on what he has been on board with so far there's no reason to believe he wouldn't be with this one speaking of giving takes and possibly pissing off fan bases or <laughs> aka aka one fan who works for us at no ceilings mm-hmm. nick is a sacramento kings fan hopefully you'll make him happy with the pick that you're about to make here yeah we're on the clock I hope I'm going to make you happy. There's a little, yeah, there's a, there's going to be a little <laughs> positional overlap here. Um, mm. But this guy is number five on Nick's board. I cheated. I pulled up the no ceilings board. I went to Nick's boards to see who <laughs> he has here so that I, I'm hopefully not upsetting him. I'm going to take Keegan Murray here. Um, I think that I, yeah, I know there's a little Sabonis overlap. There's a little uh, overlap with Harrison Barnes. Yep. everybody seems to want Harrison Barnes. And if you are like Sabonis and Fox is still a younger core in air quotes. So maybe you can find, you know, some value for Harrison Barnes and, and retool a little bit if, if it's that big of a deal. Uh, but I like the way he fits with this roster. I, again, I, I know that there's overlap, but I truly believe that he's going to provide room protection in the NBA. I, I feel like people doubt his athleticism at times. And I don't really see that. Like, I think he's a very good athlete for a four. He's going to give you some spacing. He's going to give you defense, which is something that this team desperately needs. Uh, and and I, I just think he's the best player uh, on the board. I, I really liked Matherin, uh, and I really liked Dyson Daniels, but I, I just think that team is getting real small at that point, if that's who we're going with. And I know Daniels is bigger than we expected, but his shot isn't there yet. With Matherin, the shot's there, but his wingspan's only 6'9", and then you're playing him with DiVincenzo and with, uh, you know, Mitchell and Fox it's just there's just not a ton of size there especially if you're gonna have Sabonis playing the five so 
Keegan Murray's the guy that jumped out to me. There's, there's a world that I've, I've mentioned this name before. I was, I was talking with somebody earlier today and I kind of said like a, a floor for Keegan looks like it could be like a PJ Washington plus mm-hmm. type of player, but like upside outcomes there, there is some Tobias Harris type of stuff in his bag offensively. The question is, is he going to be able to further develop the ball handling to bring more of that out? Um, I, I think the space in the NBA is going to help him out a lot. Similarly to like, it's helped Franz Wagner, who we talked about earlier in this podcast, for example, I didn't know that he was going to be able to whip out some of the things that he's shown us in his bag because of the space has really helped him. He's what wasn't exactly the most elite ball handling forward that I was evaluating out of last year's draft class. But just when you have that open room to operate, sometimes it can really help guys. And, and in Keegan Murray's case, playing in the big 10 where defenses are just crowding up on him, they're sending him two, three guys and, He's, he's struggling to get to some of these spots. Like, I think a lot of that's going to open up for him. And I just think given who we know he is as a basketball player, how smart he is on both ends of the floor, Sacramento just needs guys who can play the damn game at a high level. And regardless of how high you think his ceiling is, Keegan's absolutely one of those guys who can help Sacramento right away. What do you think, Steven? I love it. I, I love it a lot. I think that he – they need winners. They need grownups in the room in the worst way, right? Like, so you could go high, like high ceiling, but that's kind of been Sacramento's play for a long time. And it's just not really worked out. The last player that they drafted that had high ceiling outcome, they just traded away because they had a crowded backcourt, right? So uh, taking a backcourt guy here didn't make sense to me either. So Bolstering up that front court was a smart move. Uh, I, I really like that addition a lot, Maxwell. So nobody knows what's going on in New Orleans. No one has any clue what's ultimately going on with Zion. Brandon Ingram has continued to still take positive steps in his career, and I'm glad that he's done so. Um, but they got to make a pick here at number eight. They have to add potentially a third franchise building block. Do we worry about if he meshes with Zion? Is Zion going to be there? Are we just taking the best player available? Like, I don't know what direction Steven going to want to go with the pick, but it's his pick, number eight, on the clock. Who are you drafting for the New Orleans Pelicans? I'm going to operate under the notion that Zion is coming back. There's been, like, a lot of positive energy that he is committed to coming back to this I team. I hope so, I think. man. I really hope I, so. I think that the addition of C.J. McCollum, you know, uh, president of the Players Association, has really – uh, tried to bridge that gap and that connection, uh, maybe being called out by J.J. Reddick, kind of kicked him in the butt a little bit, not to mention that they do have you know, Brandon Ingram, who is probably one of the most underrated offensive players in the entire NBA. He's ridiculous. Uh, it's it's a really weird spot to be in for New Orleans because I feel like you already have like a first, second, third option offensively. Um, you got great uh, young talent that can develop and play around these guys. And so, really, I'm enamored by adding a Dyson Daniels to this team. The fact that you can add Dyson Daniels to play alongside Herb Jones as these kind of like gadgety weapon X type players uh, next to some ready made offensive creators, not to mention Jonas Valanciunas also being like a very unheralded center in the NBA as well. I think that adding Dyson Daniels as a kind of off ball connector piece, he's improved his shooting, he's a really good playmaker. Uh, he's improved his cutting and attacking to the basket. He's a very swishable and versatile defender that gives them a lot of uh, – there's a lot of different lineups that they could put out there, not to mention they got guys like TM3 on this roster. 
who projects to be a good 3 and D prospect as well. I really love adding a lot of length and, and versatility to this team with the offensive firepower that they project to have if everything goes right. Maxwell, I saw you going like, damn, I wanted to be the one to take Dyson Daniels. Are, are the, what, what, what are your thoughts on Daniels? Why you're shaking your head so much? Why? Because you wanted to make the pick. I, yeah, I really wanted him for my next pick. I thought I loved the fit with him in Washington. Um, but I'm just really high on Dyson Daniels in general. I, I just think we're going to look back at this draft class in like five, 10 years and just see, hey, why didn't we take this guy who was like six, seven and gets where he wants on the court and can pass and toward the end of his G League season was hitting 40% of his threes from the NBA three-point line and is the best guard defender in the class. Like, why did we miss out on that guy? Like, I just, I can see it so clearly in my head that, uh, I think he's going to be tremendous. So great pick. I, I, I have him number six on my board right now. I, I just think he's a fantastic player. And, and I think it's an interesting team building strategy for new Orleans too. And I have I mean, him seventh on my board again, though, the ultimate, like just throw the dogs out on the defensive end with Herb Jones, Dyson Daniels, TM three, like, and then you could always have like some sort of offensive engine on this team along with those guys. Mm-hmm. Like it's very compelling to me. When yeah, you consider the, their history of like teaching guys how to shoot too, it's like the one concern you have with Dyson Daniels and it's like, you could not pick a better environment for him to be in. Yeah. This team has enough guys who love the jack of shots and can do it from all over the floor. Brandon Ingram's your per, legitimate perimeter out outside score along with CJ McCollum. And then on the interior, you have one of the best finishers that we've seen in, in the NBA in quite some time in, in Zion Williamson. So there's offense all over the place, get somebody who could plug some of the other holes on the team, the, the, the rare intersection of fit along with potential that, that we could make in, in this mock draft. Well, well done with the pick, Steven. Thank you, sir. I have the San Antonio Spurs at number nine. I could go a number of interesting directions with this pick. I think in terms of BPA, the best players that are still available on my board are all wings. slash perimeter players the spurs have so many of those guys (laughs) and the the difference between some of my reservations i have with oklahoma city because i just think they're more prone to to make trades and be wanting to put people on the move san antonio doesn't really do that san antonio invests heavily in who they draft and Dejounte murray has been an all-star guard now and he's going to be for the foreseeable future he's an incredible talent i really love josh primo even though I question how high he was taken last year, I still put it out there in his evaluation that true combo guards at 6'5 with his length, they just they just don't grow on trees. You don't see those guys actually come around that often. You still have Devin Sell. You still have Lonnie Walker, who could possibly be back next year if he moves on. He's Keldon definitely Johnson. a wild card. Keldon Johnson's like your 3-4 type of player. So they have guards and wings. They need a forward or they need a big. I'm actually going to go Jeremy Suhan here. This is, this is where I'm going to go. I'm going to go that defensive type of Swiss Army knife who can just fill and plug so many holes for this team while also being the guy who we've seen play point guard at Baylor now. He can bring the ball before he can initiate offense. He doesn't need to do that on the Spurs team or likely for a lot of his NBA career, but as long as he's a guy who can just keep the ball moving, make those quick split-second decisions to get the ball where it needs to go to, and there's so many guys – who can either finish plays on this team or hit open perimeter shots. I would love to put somebody like Suhan in this environment 
and just let him go to work. Let him focus on what he does best. Let him be him. He doesn't have to have too much offensive responsibility on his shoulders. And if that's how you play him, he can absolutely contribute right now. And who knows how much better he can get down the road. What an argument that a lot of people have. What do you think, Stephen? I love it. Um, it was really interesting when I did that mock draft exercise with Rucker. Like, this is actually where I took Shaden Sharp for a long-term play uh, with him and Primo next to each other. Because of everything that you laid out, like, they have a lot of already NBA-ready level wings and forwards. But adding Suhan here makes a lot of sense, too. He was another player that was in that mix because I compare him to, like, a, a kind of a funky blend of, like, a Boris Diaw and Andre Kirilenko and the fact that, like, he has enough offensively that I don't see him not being able to be on the court. Uh, he does a lot of cool things, interesting things out of the short roll in the very limited times that we did see that uh, at Baylor. And then just the defensive versatility, something that San Antonio desperately needs, like guys who can scale up on the perimeter or down in the forward spot, like mix it up on different ends of the defense. Uh, Hurdle is still there. Like maybe this is the neighborhood where you start entertaining like a Mark Williams just to see how that looks. But I, I love Suhan here because like you just mentioned with my last pick, it's like a good, it's a, it's a good fit of, you know, team need and high end potential with this prospect. Maxwell, the, the, the thing that Steven and I talked about on the podcast, that was really the nail in the coffin for me in terms of not only having him ahead of Kendall Brown on my board, as far as the Baylor guys go, but also just having him as a top 10 or top 11 prospect in general was that last possession in that tournament game against North Carolina, where He's the guy on RJ Davis. He's the guy on the more experienced, the veteran guard in this situation. RJ Davis, who is very adept at creating shots off the bounce over bigger guys. That's one of his calling cards from the perimeter. He has a freshman on him. You would think in that situation, the veteran's going to cook him. He's going to get that bucket. He's going to win the game. Suhan was not afraid. He wasn't scared. He came at RJ Davis. He just stood his ground. He just absolutely stood his ground right there. He didn't let anything that R.J. Davis could have done shake him. That spoke volumes to me, that a freshman was ready for that moment. And we've seen so many awesome examples of his defensive versatility all year. We've broken down some of the stuff on No Stills as well across podcasts and written form, et cetera. But that was really what sold me. I was like, all right, this guy's different. Uh, what do you think of the pick? Yeah, I'm – I'm into it. Um, I think especially in that kind of developmental environment and your point at the RJ Davis thing, like if anybody froze during that interaction, it was RJ Davis who yeah. like did not really do a whole lot. Like he just kind of seemed like, what do I do with this? Kind of like, Oh shit. Like this guy's actually going to stand <laughs> up to me. What do I do? Yeah. Like, like what am I going to do with this six, nine giant dude? Who's quick. And it just, he, he didn't have an answer for him. Um, yeah. I'm big into him. I think in this kind of developmental environment, it's great. Um, really just love, his savvy and nose for the ball, his nose for passing. Like he just, he gets it. He's a guy that you watch and it's like, he's just mentally on a different level than the other people on the court. So uh, I think between that and his physical tools, the upside is unreal. I think the floor is phenomenal with him. I, I truly think unless, I mean, I don't know, maybe you end up playing for a team like coached by Doc Rivers per se, and, and you just don't get the chance to play at all. But I think on most teams, he's actually going to contribute right away. I, I really believe that he's going to play minutes in his first season just because he understands the game of basketball so well. His feel is so good, and his defense is, is just ready to go. 
And by the way, for everybody out there listening, don't worry, I promise this is not going to be a three-hour podcast. Just, just want to spend a little <laughs> more time with, with, with some of the lottery picks here mm-hmm. um, and make sure we, we give them their dues as well as break down some of the fits. But Maxwell, you're back on the board. You have the Washington Wizards at 10. You wanted to take Dyson Daniels, but Steven ruined that for you. Yeah. So where else are you going to go? Yeah, so I really wanted to take Dyson and just have him like basically play point guard and just guard whoever Bradley Beal can't guard, but that's off the table. Um, mm-hmm. The issue with Washington is that this team cannot guard anybody. They were 25th in the league in defense this past season. And the other thing that just sticks out like a sore thumb to me is looking at this roster. I'm a, I'm a Denny Avdia guy. I'm a fan of him. Um, but if Bradley Beal wants to go, they just don't have a high upside guy. And I know the point guard and, and center are probably the two areas in need, but I've got the number five guy on my board just sitting here still, and I need high upside talent, and I'm taking Benedict Matherin. And, and okay. I know that from a fit standpoint, him and Bradley Beal, like not ideal. You might have to slide into the three. Maybe Kispert has to come off the bench. Maybe Rui doesn't get as many minutes. I'm fine with that. I don't think he's very good. Um but yeah, it's, it's not clean. It's not pretty, but I, I really just love his upside. And I think that at a certain point, you have to just start getting some high upside guys in your building. And Jaden Hardy is another guy I kind of thought about here, but the defense is still just so bad that I, I, I'd really rather, if you're concerned with keeping Bradley Beal happy, I'd rather just turn to the free agent market. I mean, you look at a guy like Dennis Schroeder who got picked up for you know, a, a small contract this last off season, you can find that kind of guy out there. If you're really concerned with competing to just get some sort of competent point guard play going. I, I just, I can't keep letting Matherin slide. I'm a huge believer in his game. But I like the fit because we know, we know when Matherin's going to be able to hopefully provide offensively, but it's defensively too. And he's probably not projecting to be like a lockdown defender on the wing, but he's going to be a competent NBA defender. And when you start putting that player along with Denny Avdia, who we talked about, who is, has been one of the better defensive forwards actually very quietly in the NBA this season. When you flip on Wizards games, you're seeing a more engaged Kyle Kuzma defensively as well. They have a rotating cast of big men who can protect the rim and block shots. Now you're starting to put together this defensive identity around Bradley Beal and also surrounding him with guys who can make open shots like Kuzma, like Avdia off the bounce, like Matherin from three. This is the type of team you're starting to build that has an identity. And I really like that for Washington. Well, I, I know you're high on Mather and Steven. What do you think? I mean, I love it a lot. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, like you're, it's really difficult to just assume that you're getting a starting level talent in the NBA at this pick, right? Like this is typically speaking where like all the home run swings are gone. You know, there's, there's a, a large, you know, AJ Griffin camp who think that he can be a star in the NBA, but I mean, taking Benedict Mather in here, like, Sure, you got Bradley Bill right now. You got these wings that we already talked about, like KCPs on this team. Uh, you, I don't think that there's a point guard worth taking right here right now just because you need a point guard. So adding someone who you can trust to come in off the bench in a, in a bunch of different lineups, like a Benedict Matherin, like, it helps you become a better team like in the immediate. And then whatever happens with Bradley Bill, whether or not he gets that max contract, maybe Benedict Matherin is kind of like Bradley Bill 2.0 who – yeah, there was a lot of people who thought that he was going to be like the next Ray Allen, right? Uh, because he was just supposed to be like a spot-up shooter. But due to injuries, it turns out that Bradley Beal can actually do a lot of different things. I think that Benedict Matherin could end up being a very similar player in the NBA. So you get someone who 
can come in and contribute off the bench. And then maybe you have an heir apparent to a Bradley Bill, depending on what you want to do with him moving forward. Steven, you're at number 11. You have the second Portland Trailblazers lottery pick. I think I know where you're going. And I okay. hope that's where you go because I want the player that I'm thinking of for my next okay. pick. But we'll, we'll, we'll see what you do. Who are you going with? Well, I guess it was only fitting that Maxwell broke my heart here because I broke his heart earlier. So it's just going to be a perpetual like trading of blows between the two of us. Uh, Benedict Matherin would have been a perfect hand and glove fit. He would have been like the the player that you trust to come in and provide more of an impact immediately while Shaden Sharp might be the guy for the future. So with that being gone, I'm looking at my board. There's a guy that I have ranked higher than this prospect, but if we're going to be in keeping with what we just talked about with Shaden Sharp, I think A.J. Griffin makes a lot of sense on this team because they need wing depth. They need wing talent. He spaces the floor reliably well. He actually gives Portland a little bit more size at the forward spot. This guy might be able to give you minutes at the four, depending on uh, the matchup of that night. Uh, very quietly, one of the most reliable shooters in this class. And I think that when people talk about him like independently in a vacuum, they acknowledge that. But when we talk about best shooters in the class, I feel like he's often ignored. Like he, AJ Griffin could be one of the best shooters in this class. Uh, defensively, there are concerns. Maxwell alluded to that earlier. I think that he does get beaten. But how much of that is playing through a season where it's he's a season removed of coming in off of injury? We were questioning whether or not he would even participate in this season. And he's already showing a lot of good flashes uh, in the, you know, in the Arkansas game. Uh, he showed that he can do a little bit more off the bounce. So uh, maybe he's playing his way back into being more of an athletic guy, maybe being a more reliable defender in the future. But he's young. He's a blue chip prospect. He's got the DNA. He's got the connections to the league. You can trust him coming into your organization. I'm going to go with A.J. Griffin here. Maxwell, you can you can now grade the Portland Trailblazers first round, taking away Shaden Sharp and then snaking back to get AJ Griffin, a player who you could have argued for the Shaden Sharp pick. Mm -hmm. Talk talk about value now at the guard slash yeah. wing spot. What do you think? Yeah, I'm into it. I think that uh, yeah, AJ Griffin gives you like little extra beef at the uh, at the forward spots, gives you some extra shooting. There's there's nothing to dislike about that, and I think that. AJ Griffin is is a guy I'm trying to figure out just because he didn't get as many on-ball reps. So it's like we don't really quite know where he's at as a passer, as a distributor in some of these things because he played such a complimentary role. Um, but stepping, we know he can step into one. We know he can do it. We know he can catch and shoot. He can create a little bit. We know he's NBA ready from a frame standpoint, can finish at the rim. So I like it, and there's still a lot of upside here. This is a guy who was considered at the top of his class in high school. So I'm fully on board. So now that I know that the player that I wanted is still there, I'm running up to the podium if I'm the New York Knicks to get this guy. And Metcalf would kill us if he knew that we let this guy slip this far. I was considering him for the Portland pick previously. So Johnny Davis would this, this would be a home run pick for the New York Knicks. I love this, actually. He's had to do so much at Wisconsin. I, I, I have never – a player who is projected by the majority is like a top 10, top 12 type of player. I have not seen a sophomore step in and carry the load that he had to carry at Wisconsin, being that team's true, legitimate number one offensive option while also having to guard more nights than not the other team's best player. The majority of the time the other team's best player was on the perimeter – he was getting that defensive assignment and he was playing 
upwards of 34 plus minutes per game. He was a 20 plus points per game scorer, getting to the line more than five or six times per game. Just what he did for that team was absolutely unbelievable. And the best part is he would not have to do that with the New York Knicks. He would be so much more free to just operate off of the ball, better pick and choose his spots, still can play defense for you, brings that winner's mentality, that tough, that grinder, that New York City fans love. But just the fact that he would be able to play off of R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle, I think would really help him a ton. He wouldn't be double and triple teamed in that situation all the time. He would have the one-on-one matchups. He would be able to take a guard into the post one-on-one, not have to worry about two or three other people trying to fly over and help him. I think his isolation scoring numbers would go up. And then I think just the catch and shoot stuff, I think is still going to keep improving. And again, just having guys who can command those double teams and that offensive attention, letting Barrett hit somebody like Davis on the kick out, I think his percentages will go up as well. And then you still have somebody who, in my opinion, does have star potential. Um, when we talk about some of these other guys, is his likelihood of hitting that ultimate upside as high as maybe somebody like a Keegan Murray, for example, and then his baseline outcome being more of a sure thing? Probably not. But I still acknowledge that Johnny Davis has that star potential. And he plays like Devin Booker. Who the hell knows? He could become that type of scorer in the NBA. I, I, man, if I was New York, I'd be, I'd be shouting with excitement if I got this pick. What do you think, Maxwell? Yeah, I think it's great. He's, he's the kind of rookie that Thibodeau would actually play also, which mm-hmm. is nice. Like he's a guy that would get those opportunities just because he plays so hard. He plays tough defense. I think he would fit kind of their cultural identity that the Thibodeau wants to, to build. And even if Tibbs is gone, I have a hard time imagining a new coach coming in being like, I don't really care for this Johnny Davis fellow. Like, I, I just think, <laughs> right. I, like earning the trust of a coaching staff is an under discussed aspect of, of the draft. And I think Davis is going to do it wherever he goes, but he's, he's a really high upside guy to get at this point in the draft. I, I think his situation was so much worse offensively than, than people give it credit for that. He, there's a lot more to him than people realize. Steven, any other thoughts about the pick? I mean, Maxwell talked about this early on in the season, and I've loved his, this take ever since. You know, he plays like a bench player or as a star mm-hmm. player at Wisconsin because, and I don't mean to say that he is, like, equal to a bench player in talent, but in the give-a-crap factor, in the fight, and the determination, the coachability, uh, that that travels very well. Uh, the, the shooting should be a little bit better, uh, playing in a pro system with more spacing and better talent around him. And I think that the defense is often underdiscussed aspect of his game. And it's very important for a rookie not to get played off the floor. And I think that Johnny Davis should be able to hold up as a, as a off guard defensively in the NBA. And an underrated decision maker with the ball in his hands as well. If he gets run off a spot and he gets on the move and maybe his first option to score, it isn't there. Somebody walls him off. He will make the correct decision and either pull it back out or keep the ball moving, pass it back out. So very, very, underrated part of his game as well maxwell mm-hmm. 13th overall pick another yeah. houston rocket selection where mm-hmm. are you going for them yeah so for me there's a bit of a drop in tier at this point in the draft um like everybody i had in the tier above this is gone um i'm gonna take a guy that i i still really like and i think from a fit standpoint works wonderfully but i i don't think we're leaving anything on the table here by drafting for fit i think his upside is on par with a lot of guys left and that's ty ty washington Mm-hmm. Um, 
they kind of need a real point guard. And a lot of people say he played shooting guard. I know that he played shooting guard <laughs> because all severe Wheeler can do is dribble the basketball. Um, but when he played point guard, he did a phenomenal job of it. And if you look at his, his pick and roll numbers, his distribution numbers, they all say point guard. And if you watch the film and just look at his pass placement, the way he you know can deliver the ball to his teammates, the way he reads the floor, his assist to turnover ratio, if you want to use the most basic stat possible, he plays like a point guard. Um, but I really think that his fit next to Jalen Green is, is sublime. I think that he can take some of the tougher guard assignments because of his length. Uh, and I also think that with Green, um, the, the big knock on Ty Ty is that he doesn't provide a lot of rim pressure. I think a lot of that is chalk. I can chalk that up to the spacing at Kentucky with Wheeler, with Keon Brooks, with Shibwe. He didn't have a whole lot of open paths. And when he got to the rim, he actually finished. I think he was like a, in the 74th percentile on synergy or something like that, finishing at the rim. Yeah, 74th on synergy at the rim. So he can finish at the rim. And we know the um, floater is excellent as well. Floater is one of the best standard. weapons in the class. Yep. And, and he, okay, so even if you're saying, well, he, he can't do it, even if you want to discard all of the context for why he didn't get to the rim as much, you have Jalen Green to pressure the rim. So he's a great catch and shoot player. You've got green to pressure the rim. You don't really need as much of that from your other guard spot at that point. I, I just think it's seamless. I think his upside is really high just because he came back from that injury and, and struggled. I think people wrote him off a little too eagerly. I, I'm still a believer in Ty Ty Washington. And I, I love the idea of like what he can do with chat, what he can do next to Jalen green, just all the little, the selflessness that he would provide them with. They don't really have that true point guard. They had to keep Dennis Schroeder, whoever thought they were going to buy out just because they don't have like real point guard play on their team. Uh, I, I think he's, he's the right guy for them. I'm not going to give my thoughts on this pick just because if you're listening to this podcast, you probably read the no ceilings mock draft. And I actually got this right up when we also mocked Ty Ty Washington to the Rockets. So if you want my direct words, definitely go read that. Steven, you have any other thoughts about the Ty Ty pick? I'm not in love with it. I'm still not completely sold that he's the best point guard in this class. Uh, I think if you're going to go point guard, he might end up being, I'm not saying like definitively he's not the best. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that Kennedy Chandler has kind of played his way back into that conversation. Um, although Ty Ty is a little bit bigger. So there's a lot of different ways that we can peel that onion. Uh, I also have him a little, like a good bit lower on my big board than 13th. So in terms of where I personally value him, uh, I wouldn't have done this, but I definitely understand the thought process and the logic behind it. Steven, you have 14. You have the Charlotte Hornets. You are, you are in a position to – man, we're going to play out multiple picks that we did on the No Ceilings mock draft at this point. We'll just I don't even think we need a – we don't even need like a strong – like anybody who knows anything about No Ceilings probably can already foretell where we're going to go with this pick. Who's the name, buddy? As Mark Williams, I mean, it just makes too much sense. And I'm, I'm exhausted for how much this makes sense. I don't like always saying the same place uh, or the same player to the same place all the time. But sometimes if it's mentioned as much as it is, it's probably for good reason, right? If you look at the, the starting lineup that the um, Hornets, you know, kind of front, if you look at their uh, point differential, they start, Plumley, he gets he's like their most used big man in a lot of minutes and it's not a substantial negative it's like I think at 1.6 last I looked point differential um, and it may not even always be his fault because there's a lot of guys on this team that don't like to play defense but center if you hit it right it can really kind of change your fortunes uh, it can really kind of cover up a lot of sins from your 
perimeter defenders, your guard defenders. It's probably the most heavily relied upon defensive position in the NBA. So if you hit this right, uh, like you can with Mark Williams, who is the all ACC defense player of the year, uh, shot blocking master, very fluid. Uh, oh, and by the way, he doesn't sacrifice a lot on the offensive end either. You know, he gives you a good vertical lob threat. He's a 70%, you know, field goal shooter. Uh, he's also like a 70% free throw shooter. And he showed a couple of pretty little plays in the tournament that you could really fall in love with and maybe kind of convince yourself that maybe he can extend his game a little bit if we develop him correctly. But Mark Williams, it just it's makes way too much sense. As much as I hate it, like I'm still going to go this route because it convinced me otherwise, you know. Maxwell, any any thoughts about Mark Williams being at the tail end of the lottery here? Uh, yeah, I don't know that I would have seen it, you know, a month or so ago, but he's earned it. And I think the fit is perfect. I, I'm completely on board with the pick. Like Steven said, it might not be the most exciting, but it's right. <laughs> I yeah. think it's, it's what makes the most sense. So. so we're outside of the lottery now. We'll, we'll keep it moving a little bit as far as our picks. Oklahoma City Thunder at 15. I'm on the clock. We've taken... At this point, when I select this player, we will have taken all 14 of my lottery players. So I feel pretty good about where I sit with, with my personal evaluations by that notion. I'm going to take Patrick Baldwin Jr. here at, at 15. Mm. And man, he has fallen so far down people's boards. I think ESPN last mocked him or last graded him at like 26 or something along those lines. I mean, we're talking back end of the first round now. For, for Patrick Bowen on the majority of boards. I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not going to get there. I still have him as a lottery level prospect. Um, Baldwin's just the guy. I hated the situation he was in Milwaukee. I still don't think things were right with that situation. I think if he would have been somewhere else, if he would have went to a power program, I think Duke was probably the next school lined up where he was the most recruited and that probably would have been a second choice. I just think it's somewhere else he wouldn't have been put in this situation. I think him going to play for his father might've ruffled some feathers and it just didn't feel like it sat right with the team. And I've, I've seen that on film now when I've gone back to, to watch some more of his games, I'm still holding stock on the guy who has balled out literally everywhere else he's been and was billed at one point before the year is like a top five, top six projected pick. I'm still going to bet on that talent. So I think in a situation with Oklahoma City where he has a lot of ball handlers like we've talked about who can get him the ball, alleviate some of that offensive pressure, doesn't have to be the number one guy, just asking him to be an open spot-up shooter and do some interesting things off the bounce attack and closeouts as a 6'9 forward with some defensive value protecting the rim potentially. I'm buying into that package. So I'm going to take Patrick Baldwin at 15. Maxwell, you were on the clock. Atlanta Hawks at 16. Who you got? Yeah, this is kind of a tricky one. Um, I'm not, I feel like they still kind of need guys on the perimeter in a sense. Cause like DeAndre Hunter is injured a lot. You've got Bogdanovich and you've got Herder, um, but there's not a ton of athleticism with those guys. And you've got, you know, John Collins, who's out right now. Um, Gallinari is aging a little bit. So you kind of need guys at the four spot too. So it came down to Tari Eason and the guy I'm actually going to go with here simply just because he's higher on my board. I'm taking Ochai Agbashi. Um, this is a team that I don't think wants to take a step back. It seems like they really want to remain competitive. Uh, so you bring in a mature guy who's an athlete. You can do some interesting lob passes with him, like Kansas has done this year, give Trace some vertical spacing. 
Uh, but you also give him that horizontal spacing too. He's a real three-point shooter, good athlete. I think he's a better defender than he gets credit for because his statistics aren't gaudy mm-hmm. um, on defense, but I really believe in him on that side of the ball. And, you know, I, I think you do probably need some more size, the forward spots, but at the same time, when you're trying to compete and a guy like Ochai sitting on the board, I just can't pass on him. They just need defense, man. Anywhere yeah. they can take it, they need defense. Steven, Indiana Pacers at 17. Ochai might have been your guy. You, you might have wanted to take another senior way nah, good. two years in a row. Okay, so he's not your guy. Who, who is your guy at 17? Well, don't get me wrong. He's my guy in a vacuum, but uh, apparently today it's my job to rebuild the Indiana Pacers. I already took uh, Jay Nivey earlier, and I don't want to add another guard uh, because of the depth that we have. Uh, I'm going to take Tari Eason. I just think that he makes way too much sense. And in adding a Tari Eason alongside a, a Jay Nivey on this team, you're getting a lot of strength. You're getting a lot of athleticism uh, at their respective positions. You're uh, getting so much transition pop. Holy you're, cow. You're getting all of the transition pop that you can handle. You're getting guys that can run the floor with a Tyrese Halliburton who is going to get these guys such clean looks. Uh, you're getting a physical front court mate to play alongside of a any one of a Miles Turner, Isaiah Jackson, or Jalen Smith, uh, Bataze, if you want to play him. I don't know what's going on with that. But uh, yeah, Tari Eason, uh, uh, underrated uh, passer, uh, really wasn't asked to do a lot of that at LSU. Already used to coming off of bench, already used to playing off a roll. He's one of these guys at this position where the upside of him might ultimately be one of these things that kind of like what Maxwell was talking about earlier with this exercise that we go back and look and say how in the world did Tari Eason fall to 17 and kind of historically speaking in NBA drafts this is a range where we see a lot of these kind of like combo forwards uh get taken and we're just like holy crap like Tari Eason really fell to 17 to the Pacers a certain Tyler Metcalf might want me to go with EJ Liddell for his Minnesota Timberwolves in number 18 I'm going to take a different Buckeye. I'm going to go Malachi Branham. And I think at this point in the draft, his short-term success as a spot-up shooter with some of the long-term potential of his pick-and-roll craft and creativity with such an awesome pick-and-roll or pick-and-pop partner like Carl Anthony Towns, especially when somebody like D'Angelo Russell's off the floor and they need somebody along with Anthony Edwards to help the ball and the handle the ball in some of those situations. I think Brandon makes so much sense as both a short-term and a long-term play. I would really like his fit with this Timberwolves team. I, I don't think Metcalf would hate me if I ended up taking Brandon with the pick. I, I, I like Liddell. I really like Liddell. We've mocked him to the Timberwolves multiple times and no ceilings. I don't know. 18 might just be a little rich for my personal blood. And I think at this point, I'd rather take the upside swing of the guard. Um, that, that would just be my personal preference and draft philosophy. Uh, Maxwell. Yeah. You have an important pick at 19. You cannot piss Corey off. So no, well, and I'm, I'm a Chicago area and, guy too. And, so yeah. yeah, you're also repping the area. So where, where are you going for the bulls at 19? I'm taking the other Buckeye. I'm taking EJ Liddell. Okay. Um, he's 19 on my board. So we're right in his range. Uh, the bulls just need forward hey, size too. players who can defend and can shoot, uh, desperately lack floor spacing. Um, and the defense has just been a disaster, especially in the times of that Caruso without Lonzo. Uh, so you really need as much help, especially with like, rim protection with Vooch on the court 
do not have like a real backup center. It's Tristan Thompson right now. And like, that's been a huge upgrade, which tells you how dire it was before that. Um, Liddell, I think is like, he's just so quick and reactionary on defense that he gets where he needs to be immediately. Uh, gives you some space and gives you some size. I, I just think he fits like a glove here. Steven, you have the San Antonio Spurs at 20. I, I am scared with where you could possibly go with this pick. Such a tough pick because the things that they need, I don't really – there are people that feel otherwise. Uh, I could go a little bit further down my board to get a big. Uh, I, could. I, have Ish, I have Ishmael Kamagate as my, uh, my next up as far as, like, uh, best remaining bigs. But I'm going to go best player available. Uh, I'm going to take Jaden Hardy. And I don't think that we've seen this uh, mocked a lot, uh, Jaden Hardy going to the San Antonio Spurs. But if you look at who we took earlier for them, we took Jeremy Sohan, uh, bringing in a guy like uh, Jaden Hardy, who there's not going to be a lot of pressure for him to come in and kind of be the man, but he could end up running some sort of a lineup or a unit with this team. Ultimately, there's guys who can put pressure on the rim. And what we're seeing from him being able to grow as a kind of an ancillary playmaker, but that three-point shooting, if it hits, San Antonio has a very good track record of getting guys to be reliable three-point shooters as well. So I, I love the fit here, adding Hardy, a guy who's proven himself against pros already in the G League, uh, to take on kind of a limited role early under great coaching and uh, ultimately growing into probably a better player than a lot of people would other, otherwise realize. I'm back up with the Memphis Grizzlies at 21. I want to take a little bit of a reach, but I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take Marjan Beauchamp here at 21. Some people might consider that a little bit of a reach, but he just, he's an experienced guy at this point with, with everything that he's overcome. He's, he's been through enough in his playing career, had a very good year, in my opinion, for the G League Ignite, arguably one of the best, I'll say one of the best transition wings in this class. I think Tari Eason would technically take the cake there. If you consider him a wing, I consider him more of a forward. If you're classifying Eason as a forward, I would say Beauchamp is the best transition wing in this class, is improving as a jump shooter. I, I saw him in person against the Delaware Bluecoats hitting pull-up mid-range jump shots off the break. And I'm like, if this is something that he's going to be able to do, stop and pop and hit some of these shots, along with the open corner three-point shooting and everything else we know he can do when he slashes, gets to the basket, cuts. Oh, and his defensive effort, his ability – to force turnovers on defense, his wherewithal and his awareness to double team in the correct spots and at the correct times. So much immediate value that he brings to the Grizzlies, again, with long-term upside, if he can continue to unlock more of the shot making. So he just seems like a really good play for the Grizzlies at 21. Maxwell, Denver Nuggets at 22. Do they go with an immediate contributor for Jokic? Or do you think maybe they got enough horses in the stable to make a more longer term play. I I would go kind of in the middle. The one guy who's like screaming out at me is Kennedy Chandler, just cause they don't have a ton of guards, but I don't know that I love like the idea of Jamal Murray bones, Highland Kennedy Chandler being like my trio of guards. Yeah. We're just like, there's just not a ton of length there. Um, I'm going to take somebody else who can kind of play the guard spot, but like their twos and threes are, are pretty shallow as well. I'm going to take the guy Steven wrote about this week. I'm going to take Wendell Moore. Uh, hey. I'm, I'm a big believer in him. People forget he's only 20 years old. Uh, he was yeah. very young his first season at Duke. And I feel like people are just kind of hanging on 
to those, those first year that, you know, first year you kind of stumbled out of the gate. Second year had a horrific start to the season, uh, kind of came on a little bit late. Um, he's, he's a little up and down, but he's still 20 years old. And when you look at a guy putting up, you know, 14, four and four, whatever it ended up being in a power conference at age 20 with plus athleticism, who can guard a few positions. Uh, I, I think he's better than, than people want to give him credit for. Um, his decision-making gets picked apart at times. And this is, this is a very poor defense of him, but he doesn't make that many bad decisions, but the one he makes, the ones he does make are memorably bad. So like they stick with you a lot more, uh, but as a whole, you won't like, have really? to do that though in Denver. Exactly. Like, it, yeah. It's put a, whole, him in like, a lower usage role in a playoff team. Like that's probably what's best for him. Yeah. Yeah. He, and like all of his metrics grade out well, as far as like pick and roll ISO, all those areas, he can catch and shoot very well. Um, I think this is a great spot for him. He'll, he'll provide defense athleticism and, and, you know, can put it on the floor a little bit. That's exactly what you're looking for in a modern wing. That's when no more. Steven, do I have to be scared with where you're going at 23? No, no, we don't. We just talked about it this past weekend. It just got put up on our uh, composite mock draft at no ceilings. I wasn't really a big believer in it either, but when I was assigned to write up about the player in the fit, uh, it made a lot of sense. I'm going to go with Kennedy Chandler here because what we're seeing is that the second most used lineup for the Milwaukee Bucks involves a soon-to-be 36-year-old George Hill, and it is like their most bleeding lineup that they have. <laughs> I think it's like a, a, a negative 11-point differential, um, which I didn't think that Milwaukee sported a lineup that had a, that had a point differential that looked like that. And listen, I'm not saying that Kenny Chandler is going to come in and be like a, a guard stopper, so to speak. But what he can do, um, you know, he's a positive three-point shooter. We've already seen that at Tennessee. He's a good decision maker and playmaker. Uh, not that they necessarily need a whole lot more of those in Milwaukee, but it doesn't hurt to have more guys that you trust to make decisions with the ball. And he is a very good athletic guard defender too, you know. So, I mean, when you got a defensive player of the year candidate, and a Giannis Antetokounmpo, when you have a defensive player of the year candidate and a Brooke, you know, uh, Lopez, you got Drew Hill, you got, uh, you know, Chris Middleton, you're losing guys off of the bench here soon with guys like Pat Connaughton, you could imagine that Bobby Portis is going to want a payday, uh, getting another guy who can, you know, help run a unit in a Kennedy Chandler makes a lot of sense here for me with Milwaukee. I'm going to make the most non-sexy pick possible for the Brooklyn Nets at 24, and I'm going to take Walker Kessler out of Auburn because they just need size. They need defense. I know they're going to get that with Ben Simmons whenever he's able to play. But other than when Ben Simmons is sharing the floor with Kevin Durant, they do need at some point a legitimate true big who they can not only bring on the court in the short term to provide some of that defensive help. They also just need somebody who still also has long-term upside from that position. And if he does hit, if he does become the player, I think he can become, which is more of like a Brooke Lopez 2.0, 2.0, and I say the 2.0 in terms of the 2.0 version of Brooke Lopez, who's playing for the Milwaukee Bucks right now, not the more traditional low post version of Brooke Lopez. I still think that's a player that provides massive value in both the short and the long term for a playoff team like Brooklyn that they have scoring everywhere else. I could have went very offensive rich. I could have given them a prospect like a Bryce McGowan's, for example, who Yes, he, he will need some work in the short term, but long term, he could be one of the best 14 or 15 scorers in this class, maybe even a top 10 offensive player in this class where everything breaks right for him. But I wanted to give them help now as well as in the future. So I went with Walker Kessler, um, Maxwell, Dallas Mavericks at 25, multiple 
very interesting directions you could go with this pick. Who, who are you going to give him to play alongside Luca? Yeah, it's it's tricky because just looking at their roster, it feels like they've got like a little bit of everything. Like it's not like, oh, this position doesn't need an upgrade, but it's a lot of places where it's like, ah, you could probably do better than you know, Marquise Chris is your third string center, or Davis Bertans <laughs> is your four, like Josh Green is a backup at three. You know what I mean? Like it just, but then at the same time, like they have real flexibility because of guys like Dorian Finney Smith. Um I do think you want to try and sort of remain competitive with where you're at. But at the same time, like something that I, I worry is kind of killing them is that they just don't have a ton of other high upside pieces. And I, I want to take Kendall Brown who yeah. I'm not like huge on. And I've started to kind of come down on a little bit, but the way Jason Kidd has him playing defense makes me think that he can work. And when you're playing him with it, like if you were to play him alongside Kleber so that you have the floor space out a little bit, it'll be fine with Powell if he fit. Um, but if you have him in a second unit where he's on the floor uh, with, with Powell or, or vice, you know, however you want to sort out the lineups, um, those cutting lanes will be open for him. He can, you know, it's a situation where he's going to have to key in defensively. And there is some really interesting upside there. So I, nice little positional fit, good upside. That's, that's where I'm headed. I, I still believe in Kendall Brown and that he could be one of the top 10 talents in this draft class. I still am on that island. However, he has rocketed down my board as well, Maxwell, because it's going to take a lot more than we thought to potentially bring that out of him. And NBA teams just are not patient with these guys who it's not that they don't want to develop, but maybe it's not in their character to stand out in a more meaningful way. Um, he has all of this talent. He has all of this IQ that he uses, especially on the offensive end. He can make decisions with the ball. These, these live dribble athletic passers of like six, eight, six, nine with length who can mix it up on the defensive end and can become shooters in time with more continued repetitions. That's, that's such a rare player, but you're also asking so much of Kendall Brown to possibly become that player. It's not as clear of a picture as we thought. Um, at the start of the year so that that's why I think this is an appropriate place for him to go if any if anybody can bring more out of him it's Luka Doncic it's somebody like that so I would agree with you 100% Steven another Spurs pick can you an, mm-hmm. another freaking Spurs pick <laughs> you're, yep. you're looking at me like Nathan why did you do this to me but I got go, two of go the threes yeah so we um we already talked about Jeremy Sohan going to this team giving you forward depth we talked about going best player available and another guard piece and a Jaden Hardy. Uh, let's go ahead and address the big man position now. Uh, I, I know that a lot of people are wishy-washy on the Spurs taking another international guy. Yeah, I understand that Nikola Jovic is here. And to be honest with you, like he's the best remaining prospect on my board, but he's such a difficult fit. Like I feel like if he hits, he's going to be really good, but it's really interesting to see like what team looks at him and says like, let's put him on the roster right now. So with that being said, I'm going to go with Ishmael Kamigate because I understand that they got Yaka Pirtle, um, which also means that there's not a lot of pressure on an Ishmael Kamigate to come in and kind of play above his head, so to speak, or play, you know, in deeper waters that he's a more accustomed to. He gives you a lot of athleticism, fluidity. I love his touch around the basket. Uh, I love the, the framework of a jump shot with him uh, down the line. I love the fact that 
Uh, he bodied up Victor Wambanyama in their matchup earlier in the season, and he's going to be like a top pick next season. And he's a guy that I trust to just make good, smart decisions with the with the ball, and he has a lot of upside positionally that I think would be valuable this late in the draft. So I'm going to go with Kamigate here. I have the Golden State Warriors at 27. About to get a little wild, boys. But buckle up for this one. Here Let's we go. It. I'm going to pick a player who I have currently because I really don't know if he's going to be in the draft. I, I wouldn't think oh, he'd be in the draft. Do it. Please do it. The more, the more I hear from people, the more I'm now reading, I'm going to go with Traquavion Smith. All right. Okay. All right. Same Warriors. Um, listen, my my biggest gripe that I've aired out now is that when I've watched NC State, I've seen some of the absolutely brilliant flashes of outside shot making, but when he's had to man the point guard position, he's he's just looked like a deer in headlights at times. And I think it was it was a little too much for him to be put in that type of position this year and having to more or less split those duties with Darion Sebron in the backcourt for NC State. So I don't think that situation overall was the best for him. But when you look at everything else he brings to the table, he's going to be a guy, if he is in the draft, who definitely moves up my board. I don't know. I don't know how high he's going to end up on my board. But we just look at this type of awesome, awesome shot maker learning behind Steph Curry, who once upon a time wasn't a traditional point guard himself either. A lot of people you talk to probably still wouldn't classify him as such, but he's such an elite level shot maker. And Terquavion still brings even a different element to the table because of how fast he is in the backcourt, how he can slice and dice, get to where he wants to go. This is the type of upside play. Again, he's going to need a lot of development, especially if you see him as like that lead guard type of player who's going to have the ball in his hands more often than not have to make decisions, not just score. He can learn behind Steph, but is also in an excellent developmental situation. Golden State develops their players. They develop Jordan Poole. I think they could develop Jaquavion Smith in a similar way. Again, I did not have these thoughts coming into this podcast today, but I've had some conversations with some people who are much smarter than I am in the game of basketball. And the more that I sit here and think about it after having those conversations, the more that I think an upside swing like this at this point in the draft, could absolutely make some sense. So I'm going to take Jaquavion Smith. Maxwell, Miami Heat at 28. You, listen, you have a chance to be my best friend if you take the guy who I want you to take. You, I don't think you're going to take uh, him. Here we go. You have here a chance, go. though. You have a chance to bring the asshole home. I don't know if you're going to do it, though. Who are you going to take? Yeah, I, I, so looking at my board – so many of the top players remaining are crazy ass white boys, which is the Miami <laughs> Heat's favorite type of player. There's Nikola Jovic. There's Christian yep. Braun. Yeah. Uh, Gabriel Prochita is even in the mix here. Yes, yep. he is. Um, but I, I'm going to go with a, a, a more reserved white boy in this case. Um, I think the Miami Heat want to continue to contend. And I don't think Jimmy Butler wants to take the time for like, a build from the ground up project. I seriously consider Josh Minot here uh, just because like they need some size. And if the shot, if they can fix the shot like that, you are my favorite killer. person for helping to drive a Josh Minot bus it's, along with me. And he Matt shoots Penny. free throws him. normally. Like that's like the thing is like, Oh man. Okay. We'll, we'll save this for another time. Um, but I'm going to take Jake LaRavia here. I um, love it. 
I love it. It's a bit of a reach. I, I think At, I've got him. Wow. I've got him 33 on my board. I have him um, 37. So yeah, in that same neighborhood. It's so it's it's a reach, but but teams reach here uh in this range. And I I just I really believe in that shot. I believe in the defense. If you watch how he played against Paulo when they played Duke, he did phenomenal in those games. I just think he's a real defender. I think he's a good decision maker. I think he's a good shooter. And I think you put him in an environment like Miami where it's just totally culture driven. I think he's going to win over that type of a front office. So I really thought about Minot too, just because his motor is so high. Like Minot is such a high motor guy that I, I really think he could work there. I just don't know that a guy like Kyle Lowry or Jimmy Butler is going to like be thrilled if they're bringing in Josh Minot to camp. But LaRavia has got a little crazy in him too. I think you're underselling the crazy in, yeah. in him. Yeah. So to me, like, I just look in that range and like, they, they just need big wing depth because they've got a lot of guards, a lot of like two, three types and a lot of shooters, but a guy who can play the four spot is, is kind of what they need the most to me. And it's like him and Minot in that range. And I just don't think the players would go for Minot, but I really thought hard about I it. I love that. I love that. Steven, you have a chance not gonna be happen. My best friend. All right, fine. Nope. All right, I'm not I gonna try. be your best friend. I, I no, tried. Please, I and I've tried. I'm gonna put that out there. I've tried to be a Christian Brown guy, and I just I can't come to it. Like I've had him, like at the very tail end of my first round for my 5.0 because I respect everybody at No Ceiling so much, and I'm thinking like maybe there's something that I'm not seeing. I don't buy him as a first round talent. I I just don't, and I have tried. Um. And I know well, I'm very upset now because he's not an Oklahoma city guy either. So now I'm very upset. He's not going to go in this mock draft, but well, and with that being said, I'm going to draft a player that you can argue (laughs) also might not be a first round talent based on what we've seen from him in college so far. But I think that was just a product of his environment, but I hope everybody's stuck around to the end of this podcast because now we've got, we've gotten off the rails. At this point, Jaquavian Smith, Jake LaRavia, now where are you going? I'm going Peyton Watson because I think that Memphis could afford a gamble here. Uh, They got depth, but some of the areas that they are lacking depth are kind of like that front court, like four or five, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's going to be good for Peyton Watson because it's not going to be asked of him to be something that he's not. Uh, And I think that Memphis – has done well with the players that they bring in, giving them clearly defined and established roles, and they star in those. Uh, I think with Watson being a just a sellout defensive guy, um, guy who can be relied upon to move the ball around a lot and be a freak athlete in the open court with these guys and can learn. And I think he, for as much credit as we give for like the Miami Heat culture, I think Memphis is going to be like that new wave of like team culture and there's not a player that I think coming into the season was as highly touted as being like a, a sure, a surefire talent of uh, being embraced by a culture like Memphis would do him a lot of good boost his confidence. And I think that we would see, you know, obviously like the best version of a Peyton Watson, if he was to go to Memphis. So I have the Oklahoma city thunder last pick on the board. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go outside of my best players available again. I'm Let's not going to go with Bryce McGowan. Right. I'm not going to go Christian. I, I actually, if Duran wouldn't have been the pick at four, Maxwell, I probably would have won Coloco at the mm-hmm. end here. I'm going to go Dale and Terry. And Love it. Again, we don't know if he's going to be in this draft, but at this point, when this mock draft is coming out, we have to assume that guys like Smith and Terry can be in play 
to be drafted. And Dale and Terry would give the Oklahoma City Thunder a backcourt piece. Again, we've drafted a center, we've drafted a forward, and now we give them a guard who is sort of like a wing in being 6'7 with his length, his defensive versatility can likely guard in time one through three maybe Def- definitely one and two Pro- probably I'll one through three it. at some point I, yeah I, I think so I buy it too and if you especially if you buy the shot if you buy some of the playmaking that he's flashed over the last month month and a half I know he's one of Steven's guys I have him I'm in gonna, my first round he, he's another guy who's probably if he declares if we know he's in him and him and Smith these are two guys who are probably going to move up my board because uh, there's just there's just so many there's unknowns, but there's also just not enough on guys that, that make me want to buy in like a, like a Caleb Houston, for example, um, or a Max Christie would definitely be another name I could have thrown in here um, at, at Oklahoma City. I've been a Bryce McGowan's guy all year. I just, I just don't know if some of those guys are Oklahoma City Thunder guys. I think Dale and Terry fits more of their profile and what they're trying to build as a team. So it's not that I'm guaranteed to have Terry ranked over some of those guys. I just think in this situation where I'm at in the mock draft, I just think he makes the most sense if I'm not going big, but boys, that was one hell of a mock draft. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we finished on a very high note. I'm, I'm very proud of what we've done here. Maxwell to close out the podcast before we kind of bid our farewells. Is there anybody you're like really shocked who wasn't picked? Um, So it's, it's funny. Cause when I was, uh, talking with Adam yesterday in Boxing One, I mentioned Nikola Jovic is the guy who I think will either go way higher than we expect or way lower than we expect because teams are yeah. either going to see him and be like, the upside is so exciting, or they're going to be like, oh, this guy just does not fit here because it is so tricky to have a guy with size who does not play any defense. I um, didn't have a fit for him. I really like, there's, there's I, I guess you, you can make the case for Golden State. I guess I could have made the case for Memphis if I wouldn't have went Beauchamp, but like some of the other fits that we're looking at on the boards, even with like picks that you guys could have made, like mm-hmm. I just don't know where, where the fit is unless they just want yeah. to draft and stash somebody that that mm-hmm. would be the other answer. Like Prachita Jovic would be in the same line. Yeah. And then like the next highest guys were Minot, which like I'm high on Minot. I understand him not getting picked uh, Christian Brown, who's probably the best basketball player like left in terms of just like who is the most talented right now that didn't get picked. And then after him was Blake Wesley and like, it no ceilings here. It seems like we're the kind of the crew that's out on Blake Wesley, but not the, me, Maxwell. Okay, not me. I'm the only one. Well, I've, got him I've got him twenty-eight. I've got him twenty-eight. Yeah, but you didn't draft him, so um. you know what, Steven? You know what? I'll, I'll tell you what I want to say <laughs> off the air. This is a, this is a PG thirteen podcast, but I got um, but those are the guys that jumped at me. Was there anyone like on your guys' board that was super high that that slipped through the cracks at all? Who you got, Steven? Who slipped? Through I don't have you? anyone super high. Like I had Jovic 18th on my big board, but again, like fit. Who who takes them? And then yeah, he was, guys he was I, the highest ranked guy that slipped through the cracks. And then Max Christie for me. Guys that I was considering towards the tail end of my selections, uh, Perchita is one. Believe it or not, Brown was up there as well. Jan Montero probably another popular mm-hmm. name that wasn't discussed really much at all. And then a guy I'm really falling in love with, Vince Williams Jr. I think that there is an NBA role for him. Um, but I think that the role that he gets are often not drafted. You know, they're either late seconds or they're mm-hmm. undrafted guys. And then they come in and kind of prove it like a Jake Crowder or like a Tory Craig, for example, like players like that, who you feel like you can always get later. So you just don't take them as soon as you probably should when you look back. But uh, I like, I like Vince Williams jr. A lot. The last name 
I'll bring up because I know he's gotten buzz. I know Corey Tulliba has been really high on him and no ceilings. Raphael's written about him on his big boards now multiple times. This end of the first round range, if we would have went like to pick 40 or 45, we yep. probably would have looked at Ryan Rollins as well out of Toledo. He's a name to definitely keep an eye on in that sleeper territory. But Justin Lewis is probably another guy that we could have mentioned. Being Justin Lewis. Well. Yep. Justin Lewis and Christian Brown are probably the two names that personally broke my heart that they weren't drafted in the first round. You could, I could say Blake Wesley as well, but I, it's I mean, screwed. I'm Trevor just like Kills. alone on that island at this point. So, mm-hmm. Keon Ellis, another guy that me and Stephen are both higher on than a lot of people. Yep. Was like I gotta go back and do. I gotta go back and do the dive on him. He's I know good, Stephen. Man. He's good. Stephen will also have a piece on Keon Ellis coming out next week. Not to not to ruin any anything that he might be plugging coming up, but I I can't wait to read Stephen's piece and dive back in. Maybe maybe I am missing enough to not consider him like top forty five or top fifty. Maybe I am, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Draft Deeper Podcast, Maxwell. Seriously, keep doing your thing, man. You are a star on the mic. I appreciate having you on. I know so many other hosts are going to appreciate you having you on during this cycle. Make sure you let my audience know. I should say our audience. We're all No Ceilings family. <laughs> where, where can everybody find you and what you're doing? Yeah, No Ceilings, noceilingsnba.com. Subscribe. Get those emails straight to your inbox. We're putting out great draft writing almost every single day, sometimes twice in a day. Uh, so get, get signed up over there. And then my Twitter handle is at boundboards. It's B a U M boards. Uh, so make sure you're following me over there. I'll post links to my work. You'll get a lot of other no ceilings guys work, uh, over there into your timeline. So give me a follow and, uh, yeah, make sure you're subscribed to no ceilings first and foremost. Any, any spoilers, anything you got, you got cooking that yeah, you're we're, writing about. We're getting the big Josh Minot piece next week. Hey. So I am, I am so deep into just the Josh Minot cinematic universe right now. Uh, mm. It is, there is just so much to unpack with him that like, I thought Usman Jang, like when I was putting that together, it's like, there's just so much to, to sift through here. And, you're like, and eh. honestly, there might be more with Josh Minot. Like it is just, it is a, a fascinating yes. experience. So I can't wait to unload that one. I can, I can find, probably find a tweet from end of October, early November. Where I said, he's going to go first round. And then I tweeted mm. it out again in like the January range. I still think he's going to end up in the first round. That's, that's like my one. I do too. Mm -hmm. Steven, plug yourself. What what do you got cooking? Anything besides the Keon Ellis piece you got cooking? Uh, well, I mean, like I brought up, like habitually during this take, like I was on the No Ceilings Pod. So if you didn't get get a chance to go check that out, go do that. Uh, I have another podcast that has asked me to come on uh, this Friday, so that'll be coming out. I'll plug that uh, later in the week or next week's when that episode actually drops. In case you know stuff happens, you never know. But uh, planning on being on another podcast. And yeah, the uh, keying in on Keon Ellis uh, is going to be dropping at noceilingsnba.com. And uh, a, a prospect that has one of the probably the most clearly defined roles in the NBA and no one is really discussing him. So I'm glad that we get the opportunity um, with the uh, the No Ceilings Collective. We, we get a chance to dive into a lot of prospects. And like Maxwell said, you know, you get all of that great content sent directly to your email you know, your email, your inbox, it's free 99, as Corey always likes to say, uh, plus shipping and handling. And, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of great stuff coming out, you know, by the time you're listening to this, hopefully you've checked out the composite big board and mock draft and the content's just going to keep coming and coming and coming. Like 
when we say that there are so many things coming down the pipe, like we truly mean it. We're not just smoking our own supply here. Like it's really, really going to happen. So stay tuned. There is nobody else out there right now who is pumping out as much original content as us on the NBA draft six, now six days a week, because we have the weekend warrior, Stephen Gillespie, who came over to join us along with Maxwell. These guys are doing such an incredible job already for us in No Ceilings. You guys have become stars. Like, seriously, like, when you come over to No Ceilings, you're on, like, you're on more guest appearances over the last, like, month than I think I've done in the last, like, <laughs> last, like six months. So we're just I mean, the fresh faces. Like, no one's yeah. going to want to talk to me here in, like, a week. Mm-hmm. So it's exactly. Fine. Yeah. They're going to get real tired of us real fast. But <laughs> everyone out there needs to make sure they're following us on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA. They need to make sure. Or subscribe to the Substack, noceilingsmba.com. There, not only read more of their work, make sure you follow and read what I have cooking in the pipeline. As I mentioned, I got a Shane Sharp piece that's hopefully going to be coming out early Can't next wait. week. And after that, I don't know where I'm going to go. I have so now that I'm not doing the morning dunk anymore, I have like mm-hmm. so much creative freedom. I don't know what to do with it all. Um, but definitely stay tuned for all of my writing that's coming as well. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, and just just buckle up and stay tuned. Steven and I have some excellent shows that we're already big up. guests coming, big guests coming, big guests coming for for Draft Deeper. This is this is going to be a pretty sizable April for for the podcast if everything breaks right. And then we'll make sure. Listen, Maxwell's going to be back. He already knows he's going to oh, be yeah. back. We're 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 getting every single guest to give us some of quote unquote their guys they're guys who are being undervalued and possibly slept on in terms of draft position or even being drafted at all better be coming with the Josh Minot heat by by the time we we have you on for that podcast. So just make sure you're, you're plugged in, you're subscribed and you're listening and you're ready for what's coming. Cause as Steven said, I promise you're not ready for all of it, but we don't care. We're just going to release it all. We're not even ready. Anyways, We're, we're, we're not ready. So with that being said, Thank you all for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.